Well, we're going to do something that today that I haven't really, I've never wanted to do, and that is basically use our Wednesday night class on Sunday morning. I felt like, you know, it's kind of like warmed over biscuits, you know, it's the same thing, but it, I really, I prayed about what to do after Second Peter, and we've been going through a book on Wednesday night called Slaying the Giants in Your Life, and those giants are fear, worry, anger, and discouragement. Last week was on discouragement, and I just felt that there's a lot of folks who are dealing with that right now, discouragement. And I think discouragement is one of the biggest, if not the biggest weapon the enemy uses against us. And it's powerful, isn't it? Discouragement can, can bring you down. It can make you lose hope. It could make you spiritually tired, make you compromise. It can make you quit, something that God's called you to. It can make you sick and it can cause you to lose faith. And so being that it's such a vital thing and it's always around, what does God say about it? So we're gonna look at that this morning and the first thing that God says about it is that it's real. It happens. First Kings 19, you know the story of Elijah, he just had a great victory over the prophets of Baal and he comes to 1 Kings 19, after that, all that victory. It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel what Elijah had done and that he had slaughtered the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods also kill me by this time tomorrow if I have failed to take your life like those whom you've killed. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the desert, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. In that one one sentence, I've had enough, Lord. How many have ever said that? I've had enough. Jonah 4.8, after he preached in the town and it was a success, he left and verse eight says, as the sun grew hot, God sent a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than this, he exclaimed. Jeremiah 28, 2018, he's called the weeping prophet. He says this, why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. How many have ever prayed that or said that about your situation? Why am I here? It's only trouble sorrow and shame. God warns us several times not to let it overtake us. Galatians 6, 9 says, so do not get tired of doing what is good. Don't get discouraged and give up. And I think that's the key right there. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 says, therefore since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Discouragement comes from doing all the right things and having little or no success while you're doing them. You work hard and you make no progress. You practice hard and you lose every game. You do your best as a parent and they still rebel. We're gonna look at Nehemiah and we're gonna see the progress that, how discouragement happens and the progress it takes and what Nehemiah and what God said about it. So you know the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah and Ezra were both a priest and a, and a I guess an organizer, 
during the time of Israel or Judah's return to Jerusalem. They had suffered for 70 years in Babylon under, under torture, punishment, whatever they were in Babylon because of the punishment that God had sent to them for disobeying him. So they were carried off for 70 years and while they were doing that, the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. Tore it down, burned everything down and the whole town was in rubble. And so at this point, God says, okay, punishment's over. I'm gonna send you back to rebuild Jerusalem. So Nehemiah gets raised up and he goes to the king at that time in, uh, in Babylon. The king says, okay, you can go. I'll give you all the materials you need, all the permission slips you need, everything you need to go, you go ahead and do it. So he goes back and he gets to the town and they start building it and they're doing a good job. And then we come to chapter four. And it says, Sambalat was very angry when he learned they were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a day if they offer enough sacrifices? Look at those charred stones they are pulling out of the rubbish and using again. Tobiah the Ammonite who was standing there beside him remarked, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it. How many know discouragement a lot of times comes from other people? (laughs) And discouragement will try to get a foothold in your life if if you let it. So what's happening here is not only do the workers understand how hard the job is, someone is telling them they're not gonna succeed. They're telling them how hard it's gonna be. I thought about that for a moment. Think about when you ladies were pregnant for the very first time. What happens when that happens? You have all these other mothers come up and tell you how hard it was for them and how it was so painful and so disastrous, it's gonna be so hard for you. Someone's facing a medical procedure and they're nervous and you come in and tell them, you got very low odds on that one, you know. It's not a very successful surgery. You might not make it. It's gonna be painful. These types of stories and comments only feed into someone's discouragement. People don't need to be reminded all the time of the struggle they're facing because they already know it. They don't need to be reminded of it by anyone. They need to be encouraged by God's people. So Nehemiah prays about it and gets back to work in verse four. It says, then I prayed, hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads and may themselves, they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins for they have provoked you to anger here in the presence of the builders. At last, the wall was completed to half its original height around the entire city for the people had worked very hard. How many have found out that it's true? Whenever you try to accomplish anything of value, whether it's something spiritual value, something family-oriented, something that is worthwhile in God's kingdom, righteousness that you're trying to accomplish, you will always be opposed by the enemy. I may find that to be true. And a lot of times the enemy uses other people and uses situations. Just living in the sin-filled world that we live in exposes us to situations 
that can lend to discouragement if we let it. I, I use this analogy, I'm not sure how true it is when you know, bad things happen to good people. Imagine going into a small little room about the size of the nursery back there and it's full of people who have a cold and they're coughing and sneezing and you don't have a cold but you walk into that room and you close the door behind you and you spend some time in there, what's going to happen? You're going to walk out with a cold. Not because you did anything wrong. You just were in an atmosphere of germs. And we live in a, in a world, an atmosphere of sin and destruction. And just because we live here, we are going to be subject to those same things. Again, through no fault of our own most of those times. But it's going to happen. And those things cause pain and hardship. It's how we deal with those that matter. How do we get to overcome the discouragement? Well, when those things happen, how many know they don't go away right away? It, it continues on. In verse 7, it says, But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Even when you're doing everything right, you're doing exactly what God's called you to do, you're doing it rightly, righteously, trouble is still going to come. Notice their response. Verse 9, But we prayed to God and posted a guard, posted a guard day and night to meet this need. Discouragement starts, where's the first place you go? Prayer. Take it to God, right? We prayed this morning. The Bible says, cast all your cares on him. He cares for you. We give those to God. But notice what it also says. It says, we prayed and posted a guard. I mentioned this on Wednesday. They could have stopped working and started praying. But they didn't. They kept doing what they were doing and they prayed and they acted proactively on the situation without waiting to hear from God. They prayed and they worked. It didn't say we waited for God to respond while we prayed. They prayed and they acted. Sometimes if we see a situation or a discouragement or a problem, it's good to pray about it but it's also good to be proactive about it at the same time you're praying. I gave this analogy. If I break my arm, I'm going to pray about my arm, but I'm not going to wait for God to heal it before I go to the doctors. I'm going to go get it set. I'm going to pray about it and then go get it set. I'm not going to wait around for God to tell me, go to the doctor. Pray about it and go get it fixed. A lot of problems we see in our lives are, are self-evident. We pray about it, but we don't wait for God to respond because we know what the response is going to be. The issue may get worse or even stop what God is actually doing if we wait for what we think God is going to do. I, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and you can agree with this or disagree with it. I just... The, the theory was, the conversation was on God's will. 
And the question was posed, do you think that God has a specific will for you? In other words, there's one person that God has for you to marry, one job that God has for you to take, one place that God has for you to live. Or do you think that God has given you wisdom and you have acted righteously and within those parameters, you can choose? A lot of people think the first. A lot of people think the second. And I like the analogy. I never heard this before. He says, if God's given you wisdom and parameters and you operate within those parameters, you are beginning to mature yourself in doing things that God has called you to do. He says, if you wait for God to answer every single thing, every single time, you're not growing. And he gave the analogy of children. When they're little, you do everything for them, clothe them, pick everything out for them. As they get older, you give them parameters, but you allow them to do it themselves, make choices. Okay, you can go in your closet and pick something out to wear today. You give them parameters, and they choose within that. And the older they get, the more choices you allow them to make, and hopefully they make them within the parameters that you've taught them throughout the years. And I thought, that's amazing. I never, I never thought of that before. Because I used to think the former. But I think that God gives each of us wisdom about situations. And as you're studying God's word and you, you adhere to his principles, God allows you to make choices within those parameters. In other words, if you're looking for someone to marry, God says, don't marry an unbeliever. That's all he says, right? So within your wisdom and those parameters, you, you pick who you're going to marry. And I think that's the same way it is when we see situations in front of us that cause us to be discouraged. And a lot of times we don't mature because we just keep praying and asking for God to intervene when God says, you go ahead and do it. You see the situation, you see the remedy, do it. When the Israelites were getting ready to cross the Red Sea, they came to the Red Sea, it wasn't parted yet, and God had already told them, I'm gonna take you to the promised land. Trust me, you're gonna get there. So they're at the Red Sea, it's not parted yet, troops are coming behind them, what happens? They're crying out, they're, they're upset about things. And what happens? Moses starts to pray, it says. But God says, Moses, get up. You know what to do, just do it. Take them across, and we'll come to that verse in a little bit. But there's a lot of things in our life that God has given us wisdom to handle right now. Now, I've asked this to the teens and even to you sometimes. Do we pray, you know, the Bible says pray about everything. Do we pray about what we're gonna wear today? Anybody pray about your outfit today? Anybody pray about which car to bring to church today? Anybody pray about leaving stuff at home that you should have brought to church today? The, thing, the point is, there are, you know, did you pray about which breakfast cereal to have? Did you pray about how many cups of coffee to have? Usually not. Why? Because you're old enough, wise enough, you make smart choices based on the information you have. And when we see situations or a need in front of us, you don't always have to pray about something. The need is self-evident that we can just act knowing the parameters God's given us. I, I used this joke before D. James Kennedy gave this years ago. 
Guy gets up in the morning and has his devotional. He prays, Lord, send me someone to whom I can witness. I want to lead someone to Christ. Send them to me. So he gets up. He gets on the train. He gets ready to go to work. He's on the train sitting down, and this guy sits down next to him. And after a couple of minutes, this guy just starts crying and bawling. And he turns to the, the Christian and says, I need God. Do you know who God is? And the Christian says, hold on a second. Lord, is this the guy you want me to witness to? <laughs> Some things are self-evident that we can handle without having to know what God wants for that particular moment because we have that relationship with him. So when we get discouraged, you pray about it, but there are things we can do in the natural to help defeat discouragement. One of those is stay away from negative people. Stay away from people who are always trying to bring you down and discourage you. Find someone who is an encourager. Find verses that deal with discouragement. You type in Bible discouragement on Google and you'll get 8,000 pages of scriptures for that. Here's what not to do. Don't go searching WebMD when you have a sickness. Because whatever you have is going to lead you to death. <laughs> Read something encouraging. Don't sit around thinking and stewing about what the problem is. Because the enemy is just going to magnify that in your mind. Take ways proactive to get out of it. But even if you do all these things, discouragement's going to still find a way to get in. In verse 10, it says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. Now that one verse tells us all the things that are gonna cause discouragement or lead to discouragement and we have to watch out for. Some of the factors that contribute to discouragement are these four, fatigue, frustration, failure, and fear. So let's look at fatigue first. Verse 10 says, meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out. The guy's retired. They've been there a couple of months, back-breaking labor, putting these walls together. It's only halfway done. And they're tired. Discouragement begins when you become tired. Vince Lombardi says, fatigue makes cowards of us all. You work 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. You come home, cut the grass, do the hedges, clean the garage, all these other things, do homework, get lunches ready for school. What happens? You get tired. And what happens when you get tired? Not here, but I've heard that when you get tired, you get cranky <laughs> and you get irritable and you fly off the handle sometimes at the littlest things. You get tense, and maybe you even just get bummed out a little bit, discouraged. And when you get to that point, when you are so tired that you find yourself in these positions, the enemy, he's got your name, top of the page. Man, they're tired, they're already irritable, they're cranky, I'm going after them. I'm going to make everything in their life hard because they're not in a position to be able to defeat it. Psalm 127.2 says, It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest 
to his loved ones. Now, that does not mean we don't work hard. How many understand that? We do work hard, but there's, it means that God has given limits to our bodies. How many know that? How many have found that to be true? The older you get, the more those limits are there. But he says there's limits, and when you start pushing those limits, what happens? Cracks begin to appear in your life. Why did Jesus make, make the Sabbath? Bible says he didn't make the Sabbath for man to worship it. He made the Sabbath so that we could rest in it because he knew what the outcome would be if we didn't take time to rest. We'll become cranky, irritable, and all the rest. And once you're tired, it leads to the next point. You become frustrated. Verse 10, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble. You ever work at something for so long and so hard and you don't see any kind of progress at all? Or the progress is so small, it's, it doesn't seem that the work is worth it. And there's so much more to do. I, I've worked so hard and I can't seem to see the end of it. Now there's a term we've been using lately in the past probably 10 or 20 years. It's called burnout. How many have heard that term? How many have used that term? Burnout. Working too hard at the wrong thing or striving for a goal that is not attainable. Pulling the weight all by yourself up a hill only to find that there is 20 more hills in front of you I wish to pull that thing. You never see an end to the situation. Now I think the term burnout is relatively new. I don't remember my parents ever saying that word at all. Never heard that word until, like I said, 10, 20 years ago. Because they never got to the point of being, quote, burnt out. But a lot of times, in our effort to do something substantial or do something different or whatever it might be, and we don't see it ever working or it does not work in the way we want it to, or maybe we're pressing towards something that we know is unattainable, you get frustrated. Frustration comes when you can't see the end of what you want to accomplish. And that could be the end of anything. Maybe it's the end of your physical pain. Maybe it's an end to your financial stress. Maybe it's an end to family strife. Maybe it's an end to whatever the situation might be and you just don't see an end to it. That leads to frustration, especially if you're tired. So now you get to the point where you're, you're tired of struggling with it. You become frustrated that you don't see it ending ever. And now you come to the third point, which is Failure. Verse 10, strength of the laborers is giving out so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. You ever feel like no matter what you do, it's never going to work right. It's never going to end right. Then you come to the conclusion, well, it might end, but if it ends, it's not going to end the way I want it to. It's going to be a failure. And not only that, you will have failed at doing it. That's another thing the enemy wants to do, is make us feel like we are failures. Rather than what we do failing, we now become part of it and we consider ourselves failures. You're tired of all this stuff, you can't see an end to your work, so why go on? It's gonna fail anyways, why not just quit now? When you get tired, 
and you get frustrated and you begin to think you're a failure or you begin to think the situation is, that you're in is going to cause you to fail. Fail at what? You fail at trusting God fully. You fail at being a good Christian, quote. You fail at not being a perfect parent. You fail at not being able to provide financially, so why not just quit? If I'm going to fail at it 20 years from now, why don't I just quit while I'm ahead? They said, you know what? There's so much rubble. We can't rebuild the wall. Let's just quit now. How many have ever got to the point where you want to quit, but you kept moving, and as soon as you said that, whatever you're working on, it succeeded. Had you quit at that point, whatever it was you were working on or attempting or trusting God for would have never come about. You know, we're praying for folks to come to know Christ. We're praying for the invite you one day. We're praying for people to be healed. Just because it hasn't happened now doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And a lot of times we think, that, well, that was a failure. It didn't happen when we prayed about that one time. We can just quit. No, we keep pressing on. We keep moving on. There's an instance in the Bible where Jesus was healing a blind man. And the first thing he saw, he said, I, I can only see little things in front of my eyes. I can't really see everything right. Everything looks like a tree. And then he did it again. And he could see. Progressive healing doesn't all happen at the moment you pray for it. Sometimes it comes over time. But it requires consistent prayer, not quitting, and not feeling like you're a failure because it hasn't happened the very first time you did it. I heard of when I <clears throat> first got my, my license, I was listening to a preacher and he was talking to the class, you know, and he said, he says, I would rather have pastors try and fail at a thousand things than not try at all for fear of failure. Why? Because you never know what God is going to do. And if we're afraid of failing, we're afraid of doing something we don't want to do or it's nerve-wracking or it's going to cost a lot or whatever it might be, if we're afraid of failing, we're never going to accomplish anything. And the Israelites were getting to that point. You know, we can't even rebuild the wall. Let's just stop. And then the final nail in the coffin that leads to discouragement is fear. Verse 11 says, Meanwhile, our enemies are saying, Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. Notice the cycle. It's all going back to the beginning now. We started out with the enemy whispering in your ear, telling you all the negative things that's going to happen. We go through all the other cycles, fear, failure, and now we're back to having someone tell you that you can't make it. You get tired from handling the situation, frustrated because it doesn't ever seem to end. You think of yourself as a failure and you want to quit, and what happens? The enemy comes in and says, yeah, that's a good idea. Quit. You've been through it all. You've done it. You're right. It's no, not worth it. You might as well quit. How many know that's a tried and true method? that the enemy has to make you want to quit. Rather than thinking that whatever you're doing is, has failed, you now begin to think of yourself as a failure. And you're afraid of what will happen if you actually do fail. And you haven't failed yet. It may not have worked 
now. But that doesn't mean it's not going to work tomorrow. What's the, I can't remember the numbers, I didn't write it down, but I forget how many light bulbs Edison had to go through, like hundreds and hundreds of them, before he got one to work. And they would ask him about all these, these proposed failures, and he said, well, that's just one, one more way I know it doesn't work. Just because something doesn't work doesn't mean you're a failure or that it's a failure. It's just one more way that, that, okay, that doesn't work that way. Let's do it this way. But the enemy will keep whispering in your ear that you're a failure. You might as well quit. And he will use people to do it. Verse 12, the Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again. They come from all directions and attack us. What's happening? People are exaggerating what's being said and people are repeating what they're hearing incorrectly. How many have had people criticize you, your work, your ministry, your parenting style, your money management techniques? Anybody have critics? And all that does is the enemy starting to heap guilt on you all the things that you failed at, you're a failure. When people start telling you, oh, you know what, you should have done it this way, or maybe you shouldn't have done it that way, and they begin to chime in with their two cents, all it does is make you more guilty of what you've done. So now you're in full-blown discouragement mode, you're tired, you're frustrated, you think you're a failure, and you're fear of what's gonna happen next. What do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you cry out to God. Nehemiah did it at the very beginning. In verse four he says, hear us, O God, for we are despised. The enemy doesn't like you. How many understand that? The enemy hates your guts. Enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. So when we understand that, we know who we're fighting. He goes on to say, turn their insults back on their own heads. In other words, don't don't let us listen to them. Don't let us understand them. Don't let us internalize that. What they say is what they say, but we're not going to accept that. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivities. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Nehemiah prayed before all the other stuff happened. But how often do we do all the other stuff before we pray? I mentioned before, you break your arm, you pray about it first and then you handle the situation I don't think I'm guilty of this but maybe sometimes I am that I will do everything I know to do in the natural and when all that fails then I pray (laughs) I mean I've gotten to that point rather than doing that why don't we pray ask God for wisdom on how to handle the situation and then work at it how many have ever lost your keys lost your wallet and you search for hours looking for this stuff. You can't find it. You say, well, you know, better pray about it. You pray about it and you find it. Been there. I feel God's up there laughing going, wait wait till he asks me. I'm going to show him where it's at. I'm just waiting for him to do that. Your kids do that, right? They search for everything. All they got to do is ask me. I'll tell them where it is, but I'm going to let them try to find it themselves. When we cry out to God, help us to understand to whom we are crying. 
Verse 14 says, Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the leaders and people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. And fight for your friends, your family, and your homes. Have you ever, ever gotten to the point where whatever it is that is causing you to be discouraged is the only thing you think about 24-7? It's the only thing in your mind, no matter how hard you try to pray or try to get your mind off it, you can't. It's, it's ever-present. Uh, Glenn Berteau, I shared this on Wednesday, Glenn Berteau, he's a pastor of a church out in uh, the West Coast. I've heard him pray to open his services and I thought, first I heard it, I went, that's it? But then I thought, that's all he needs. He opens his services by praying, dear Jesus, help, amen. And you know what? Sometimes that's all we can pray. When all this stuff's going on in your mind and you're focused on it and it's just running you down and making you so discouraged, Sometimes the only thing you can think to pray is Jesus help. I need you to help me. I can't, I can't handle what I'm thinking. I can't handle the discouragement. I can't handle all the things that are going on. And you know what? God, over time, will take those away from you. The situation may not change, but God will take the ability to concentrate on other things and put them back. That thing that was overwhelming, that was in your mind, you couldn't get over it, Suddenly, it just becomes not as overwhelming as it was. Jesus, help. I can't do it. The Bible says, renew my mind, renew my mind, Lord. I can't do it. I can't. I can't focus on anything else. I can't pray anything else. I know I should, but I can't. Jesus, help. And trust me, if you do that, God, you'll see what happens over the next couple of days. That whatever was so overwhelming becomes less and less and less. But it's something we have to go to God with. The second thing we do is keep doing what you're doing. Don't quit. If you can trust God to handle the situation, if he is, as the verse says, great and glorious, then trust him to handle whatever you're facing. Verse 15 says, when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. A lot of times discouragement makes you want to stop everything you're doing. And all the things you're doing are probably good. But you know what? I just quit. I'm not making dinner tonight. I'm not doing this. I'm not, I don't care about the homework. I don't care about anything. I'm going to quit. One way to defeat that is to keep doing it. Go back to it. And the more you concentrate on it and doing it, the less discouragement's going to come in. Don't let discouragement at the situation stop you from doing what you know you need to do. They, uh, I have these pastor's blogs I'm on and I read them. And a lot of times you'll get a, an occasional question. Some, a pastor will ask a question and all the other pastors respond. And the one question they ask every once in a while is, do you ever feel like quitting? And if you do, when? And the majority of the time they feel like it is, they said, Monday. <laughs> Why? Because the enemy comes in after a great service and makes you feel defeated the day after for whatever reason. I don't know how, why that happens. 
But rather than working through it and keeping going, a lot of guys, a lot of pastors take Monday off for that reason. I don't, I, I want to get back in the swing. But if you do that and you allow that, that to come in, it makes you want to quit. Maybe it was a rough service on Sunday. Maybe it was terrible. Maybe the, and I'm, I'm telling you this as a friend, a preacher, if you got something negative to say to me, please tell me Monday. Don't tell me Sunday morning before the service because that's all you think about. All, it's all guys think about when they come up front is the one thing you said. So I don't mind saying something negative, but make it Monday. But a lot of times it doesn't happen that way and that's why Monday is the answer when people give. Why do you want to quit? Well, because Sunday they said this to me. Don't quit what you're doing. Keep going. Don't let discouragement at the situation that may be only temporary stop you from doing what you need to do. Number three or the third point is take steps to defeat it. Verse 14 says, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your friends, your family, and your homes. Kind of what we talked about before. It takes a positive, proactive approach on our part to do it. If we wait for God to do it, if we just sit around and think it'll go away itself, it's not. God wants us to be proactive in handling it. If you want a job, You don't sit at home and pray that someone knocks on your door for a job. If you want to do well on your test, you don't don't put the book under your pillow and believe in osmosis, right? You don't believe in, okay, I'm going to pray about this, Lord. You you help me with it. I'm going to go out and play right now, but I'm trusting you to do well on the test. Not how it works. God calls us to do our part and then God will do his. So sometimes we need to be proactive in what we do to defeat discouragement. There's a time to pray and a time to act. What promises are we standing on right now? Are we waiting? Are we just sitting around waiting? Or are we moving ahead with what God has already said to do, trusting that God will meet us as we go ahead? I've, I've used this example before. <clears throat> You ever try to steer a car that wasn't running when it was stopped? You ever try to turn a steering wheel on a car when it's stopped? Can't do it. Hardly can do it. If the car starts moving, even if it's not running, it's easier to steer when it's moving. It's easier for God to direct our paths as we're moving rather than us waiting for him to react. And that's what it when we step out and start doing something, being proactive about it, God can then direct you to where you need to be. But if you're sitting home waiting for God to write something on the wall or audibly speak to you, you might be a while waiting for that. God says, just start. And, and the verse that we talked about in Exodus says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. I like that. Use your shepherd's staff, hold it out over the water, and a path will open up before you through the sea. Don't just sit there. Start walking. Put your staff out. Do what you know to do, that I've told you to do, and then I'll meet you there. Don't expect me to part the water if you don't do what you're supposed to do. 
If you're faithful to continue doing what we know to do, God opens the waters. And I wrote down here, that means you don't quit your job, you don't give up on your spouse, you don't quit serving in ministry, you don't quit reading your Bible, you just don't quit. Because the enemy wants you to quit. But God also knows it may require us to get help from other people. How many know you don't have to fight discouragement alone? The enemy wants you to be alone and fight it by yourself. God wants you to find others. Verses 16 through 18 says, but from then on only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The officers stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The common laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. If I haven't mentioned it before, we all know we're in a spiritual battle, correct? The Bible says we're in a, in a battle. But the Bible also says we are not in the battle alone. Not only do we have spiritual help, but we have each other. What's the Bible say in the very beginning of the book? In the beginning, he told, said to Adam, it's not good for man to what? Be alone. We were meant to handle life with the help of others. And sometimes those others are the ones who will be doing battle for us. You might be in a position where that discouragement just overwhelming you, and like I said, you just can't pray. That is when you enlist people to pray for you. You get people to do battle for you, to fight on your behalf. The officers here were the first line of defense. The workers were doing their thing. Those were the ones who were discouraged. The officers came and stood guard and did battle before they got to the workers who were discouraged. So they had a front line. They had people interceding for them, doing battle for them, so that they can continue doing what God had called them to do. It allowed them the ability to accomplish God's will to rebuild the wall. But notice they also carried a sword in their first line of defense, the officers. But it also requires you at some point to be able to do battle as well that you need to be knowledgeable enough in God's word, which is a sword, so that you are able to be able to fight yourself. You can have others pray for us and intercede for us, and it gives us time to regroup and get back on our feet and maybe defeat discouragement. But you're gonna eventually need to be strong enough to fight discouragement for yourself. And then maybe you will be the front line for somebody else. Second Corinthians 1, Paul says, we suffered all these horrible things, thought we were gonna die. Now we're through them. And what we learned and how we experience God through those situations, that gives us the ability to help you when you go through them. Every support group around is usually based on someone who has had cancer or whatever it might be, who has beat it or is going through it, to help someone who's new going through it. So the things we've experienced in our life that God has helped us with, our testimonies, whatever God's done for us, and we're through it, that's what God uses to encourage someone who's just now beginning that fight. So the officers were there, 
They were doing battle. But the builders were also beginning to see God working through them, which gave them encouragement to keep working, but also be able to fight for themselves. Would you stand as we close this morning? If you close your eyes for a moment, bow your head. Discouragement is a is a is a rough thing. We talked about it on Wednesday that discouragement is not really a tangible thing. You can't hold it, touch it, feel it. It's just it's mostly an emotion. Brought about by, as we mentioned before, things in our life that we are unable to control. But the Bible tells us we can't control them by ourselves but we can control them when we give them to God. God will take the stress away. God will take the anxiety away. God gives each one of us enough time if we portion it out well enough, we can sleep. We have enough time to do that. When we're not tired, we're not as frustrated. And if we're not frustrated, we don't think we're going to fail. And then we have no fear. But God says it's a proactive thing that we each of us have to do to recognize these things in ourselves and then take steps to alleviate them. And God will help you do that. Trust me, I've been there. God will let you do it. And God will get you through it. Before we pray, I need to always ask if you're here this morning and you don't, you don't really know Christ the way that we've been talking about. You don't have a relationship with him. You may have been in church for a while. You may have been to churches all your life. But you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You've never come to him repenting of the things we know we've done wrong and accepting what he has done for you in your place, which is his death on the cross. And only through your faith and trust in his sacrifice do we really have the ability to have a relationship. And if you've never done that and you, don't, you can't look back in your life and know a point where you have done that, then chances are pretty good that you don't have that relationship. But the reason you're here today is because God has brought you here for that distinct and singular purpose so that you may come to know him personally. And if that's you and you're here and you've never done that and you want to do that, the Bible says it's a choice. If you want to do that, I want you to raise your hand. God is here to meet that need right now. All right, I'm going to assume that we are all committed followers of Christ. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your ability to come into our, our minds, our lives, and to alleviate us of the struggles we face in the world. The struggles will still be there, Lord, but your word says you will give us the attitude and the emotion to be able to defeat those. 
And Lord, I pray for each person here struggling with the discouragement of some sort or another. That Lord, you would just fill their heart, fill their mind. I pray that your Holy Spirit begins to renew their mind. Give them the mind of Christ, Lord. What everything is in their life that is overwhelming them, I pray that you would just release them of any guilt, fear, frustration about it, knowing that you are in control. You are the one who is the healer. You are the one who is the provider. You are the one who is the reconciler. I pray that your Holy Spirit allows us to leave this morning just re-energized, just not knowing and can't pinpoint when it happened, but looking at it knowing that it did happen, that God, you came in and you renewed our mind. You took that away. You allow us to experience it only to prove that you can just take it away. So Father, as, as we've heard before, we want you just to help. Help. We cry out and ask you to help us. And Father, that's enough. And we thank you that you're able to do that. So Lord, I commit each person to you. And I know that you will help them. Even through no effort on their own, you will begin to renew their mind. So Father, we commit each person to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We will see you here Wednesday and Sunday. Let me know how God's working in your life. People need to hear testimonies of what God's doing.